Hello there and welcome to The Sound of the Loons, presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kendra D. St. Aubin, as always. Very special guest with us on the podcast today, Kay. A cultured, collected central midfielder joins us on the pod today. Will Trapp, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me, guys. This is exciting. Absolutely. Um, what I'm going to do, actually, first, before we actually start asking questions, I'm going to take a picture of your attire, <laughs> and I'm going to put this out <laughs> on social media. Can you just stand up for a second so I can put this on social media? I was going to say, I thought you were going to throw a well-dressed outside. You can put the scarf on if you want to. Oh, wait. I didn't even realize there was a scarf. Do I need to do like a whole model walk and turn around? So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to put this on my Twitter page, at CalWilliams.com, and you can give Will Trapp the amount of abuse that you see necessary for it. We'll wonder why Cal is trending after this on Twitter. There we go, yeah. I don't think they're putting me on the best dressed between Nico and Robin if I would be on that. I don't think I'd like that. No, no, but you are your own man. Hearts, though, you know, who knows? You are your own man, mate. Exactly. So, you do you. Um, in all seriousness, welcome to the podcast, mate. Great to have you on. Um, before we dive into your career, let's start over the last couple of weeks. Then, um, Minnesota with, with two good points so far. I know you didn't play the first game, but you've been in, in and around the roster over the last few weeks. What is the, the mood after two very good points? Uh, I, th- I think we're, we're buoyed by the fact that we've played um, two good teams, and obviously, this home opener, we would have loved to grab three points kind of a weird weird game in the sense of um, the weather, the rain delay, all those sorts of things. But I think this group um, is showing that guys can come in and make a difference. Um, you looked at Kervin in that first game. You looked at Bongi in that first game. Um, and, and guys that are new to the group that are doing a great job of contributing and also pushing the level of the entire team. Um, so for me, it's been really exciting to see that. Exciting to see how the depth of the squad has increased. Um, we have a guy in Luis who I think is a poacher in the box and can really – cause some problems um and and for us it's so much now finding okay what's the best um way to move forward in our in our attack in our defense and I think you saw that at the end of the game against Nashville a game in which um when we were playing forward running forward and attacking with aggression like Adrian always says I think you saw um the highest level that this group can start to to bring about more consistently how how different is that when you're not on the trip for the Philadelphia Union game to, to start the season, but then also at the same time, then you're getting thrust into a home opener where the, the energy is high and you can't wait to get back on the pitch. How, how hard is it that to manage the emotions of those two things? Um, hard, I don't think. I think it's more just how you prepare yourself um, and preparing yourself as, as you would any other game and understanding that my season just started a week later than everyone else's mm-hmm. uh, in, in that regard. So for me, it's more... Um, not trying to do too much, not trying to do too little, but just keeping it middle of the road in the sense of, okay, just prepare like you would any other time. You mentioned uh, Ariaga then coming in, who, who started that first game in Philadelphia. We have Joseph Rosales, we have Ja'Cory Hayes, Hassani Dotson. A lot of competition in the centre of that midfield now. How much do you welcome that competition? I mean, it's the reality of being a professional sportsman, right? Nice. <laughs> you can resist it, but mm. it's still going to be there. Uh, for me, it's, it's always a great thing to have because... Um, in the sense of being someone that has a growth mindset, I think that's what you want. You want to have people pushing your level every day um, and, and you doing the same to them because that makes the team better. And that takes a little bit of time. I think for myself, I learned those lessons over the course of my career. Um, but for younger players, it's very easy to be resistant to it. It's very easy to say, oh, I don't like this person or whatever, but that's not what this is about. It's about the group coming together and realizing that, the best players will get on the field based on how they're performing that week. And that can change always. 
So perform in the games, perform in training, and the coaches will reward you. And I think that's a great metric to be judged by and a great metric as a human to be judged by because performance matters. When Cal was just talking about the quality of the depth or just having the depth in general in that center midfield role, but how, how much does it make a difference too, though, when everybody has a slightly different role, a different qualities that they bring? How do you find yourself in every training every week trying to maximize your qualities to make sure that you're in the 11 based on the players that are around you? Yeah, I think on the one hand, you have to understand what you're best at, um, what your qualities are, reinforce those day by day, week by week. Um, but also, I think when you have competition, it brings about um, pliability in yourself. You start to see, okay, well, they're good at that. Like, let's work on that. Let's look at how I can also bring that to the table. And that makes everybody better, and it makes you better as a player, which I think everyone desires in the end is, is growth. Um, so um, seeing that on a week by week, because we do have a lot of quality, but a diverse set of skills within this group. So, um, and even paired down to the central midfielders even so. Um, so I think it's a fun challenge to, to look at and see. Everybody has opinions. Well, the game is built on opinions. In your opinion, what are your qualities? Uh, for me, my qualities are retaining possession, passing the ball, reading the game, um, communication from a leadership perspective, um, being in the right spots. That's that's what I've always tried to to reinforce and do in my um, in my mind as I prepare for games and and on the field. And then on top of that, how do you start to build relationships with your teammates? And I try very very. Um, intentionally to to build relationships with with teammates one-on-one how do you do that uh honestly the first thing it's and it's kind of a simple thing is when you see people in the morning like just shake their hand and look them in the eye um and then be aware Uh, i think that's something from um from a lot of coaches and players that i've i've really rallied behind and been impressed by is how amazingly observant they are of things um how they're not just thinking about themselves in their own little world and their own little bubble. They're looking at, oh, what's this guy's body language like today, you know? Um, and in a way, that kind of takes the onus off yourself anyway because when you have something else to focus on, you're not stuck in your little bubble of, oh, man, I made a mistake here or oh, I did a great play here, so I'm on top of the world. Um, it, it kind of brings you back to a humble level that I think allows you to operate more consistently. A lot of what you're saying <laughs> Um, at least to me, resembles leadership. And we'll, we'll get to that uh, a little later on because I want to get to the very start of your career uh, after you had a, a good, successful college spell at Akron. Um, you ended up signing a homegrown uh, contract with Columbus Crew, your, your hometown mm-hmm. team. Um, at that stage in, in 2013, I, I know you signed December 2012, but in 2013 in that campaign, it was the homegrown thing was, was yet to really kick off. And I think you, uh, amongst several others, were were individuals that led that that homegrown uh, spell coming up for Major League Soccer. What was it like for you at that point, being a young man from Columbus, signing with Columbus Crew? Well, I think it was the club that I had gone to games to since I was three years old. Um, My family, we had tickets, not season tickets, but we would go to games. Um, You have memories of going to the stadium. You have um, just like your cultural background of, of sport was kind of centered in this club. Mm. So for me, um, signing there was so important. Important to my family, important to the community that I grew up in, um, to my friend group, to, to people I played with. I think it was something where 
wow, like one of our own is now is now on the team. Um, and now that's one thing, right? But as you start to see that season, the first half of the season was difficult, but as I moved into actually now playing, like actually playing the games, um, that took on a whole different meaning because, again, it was, okay, one of our own, but now one of our own is, like, contributing. And now one of our own is doing something more than just contributing, being a leadership down the road uh, part of that group. So um, it, w- it was super humbling in that sense of, of being one of the few guys to come out of the Columbus area that um, was able to make that jump. Is there a pressure in that? Is there a pressure in being a homegrown and playing for your team and having your friends and, and people come to the games that we just signed here with Minnesota United, Devin Pidelford, who, mm. you know, from Woodbury and came through the system here at the Academy. Like, is there a presser, pressure with being a homegrown and being in your hometown or no? Sure. There's always pressure, I think. Um, but in a way, you also have a safety net in, in your support systems there. Um, I found it in a way stifling at times um, because you get, <laughs> funny enough, you get kids that you played middle school soccer with. They're like, oh, I played with that guy. You're like, <laughs> okay, cool. But like, well, this is different now, you know? Um, so the pressure, I think, to uh, to perform in front of your, your home fans and your family and your friends was um, something that I fed off of because I, I wanted to play well for them. I wanted to play in front of them. Um, I desired that. I mean, my grandfather passed away at 97, but he came to every single home game um, and sat right in the front row. And it was like, there was just a different familial um, context to, to what that part of my career was like. Leadership is, is something that I think comes natural to you. Having spoken to a lot of people about you um, in Major League Soccer, you were 21 years old when you were handed the captain's armbands at Columbus Crew. Uh, to my knowledge, the youngest captain in Columbus Crew history. That must have been a tremendous honor for you. Yeah. Um, and look, I, I trace it back to um, Greg Berhalter at the time making me the vice captain because mm. that only happened because our, our captain, Michael Parkers, was away with international duty. And um, it was a huge vote of confidence to have the manager put that onus on you. Um, as a young player, and I think my teammates respected me. Um, it was something that I desired, um, but at the same time, it was like, "Damn, I'm 21. <laughs> like, uh, do I do I feel like I'm ready for this? Like, people are looking at me now. What does this even mean?" Um, so those questions, in many ways, were things I've had to to recircle to and, and find again. But um, the natural aspect. Um, I don't know if it's natural. I think it's just a, a byproduct of um, what you apply yourself towards, who your parents are, how they raised you, um, and and what you think will make you successful. In a way, all this stuff stems from that. Stems from, well, like, if I can be closer with my teammates and we can do this together, then I look good and they look good and we all win, right? <laughs> so, like, it, it all stems from these situations of performance, again. How do you gain the respect of others, whether it's at 21 or whether it's now? How do you feel like that is most accomplished with teammates, with coaching staff, with opposition? How do you feel like you get get there? Performing. I mean, I think it all starts there. Guys might respect you if you're a nice guy, but if you don't get on the field and perform, then people don't really, like, it only goes so far. I'll just put it that way. So I think it starts with what your habits are every day to, to show up and perform at your best. And if you show that, then guys start to say, like, oh, I can rely on this person. Um, and then if I can trust this person, then I'll follow this person. And, and those are the building blocks, I think, of leadership that um, 
you have to you have to build up like day by day, year by year. Um, and it's also there's pressure in that, right? To show up every day and say, "Man, maybe I don't feel it today, but I have to do it." And mm-hmm. I've had so many teammates a- across the years that maybe didn't play, but I respect them more than guys I've played like that I played every game with because they weren't going to play and they showed up and had the best a- attitude I've ever seen. And those are the people that I respect more than any, and I will go down as my favorite teammates. So uh, it's analyzing and observing people like that and saying, how do I bring that into myself? The, the one thing that, that I found um, really interesting over the course of the last couple of weeks was I, I remember we spoke to Michael Boxall um, just before we went on air for the Philadelphia Union game. And I remember asking him, um, are you the, you the captain, Boxy? And he said, I am today. And I said, okay, it makes sense of leadership. And he says, yeah, yeah, but leader-wise, it's, it's Will. We're Will's, Will's the leader. Do, do you feel like you're the leader of this group? <laughs> um, again, I think it's, um, it's something that I'm finding my way into. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, do I know all my teammates well enough to say they trust me and they, they're going to be led by me? Mm-hmm. How am I finding a way to bridge that gap? Um, Yes, I, I wear the armband. Yes, Adrian's named me the captain of the team, but that doesn't it doesn't end there, right? Right. Um, and there's respect from the group, and I think that thankfully was forged by a lot of these guys having con- like continuity last year. But there's new guys here now. Now, am I doing the same things that can help them understand who I am and who they are? And and then can we translate to winning on the field? And look, I think I look last year at where we ended. And that's it doesn't sit well with me, and I don't think it sits well with a lot of our players. Um, so understanding that, like, okay, we want to go somewhere we haven't been before. Mm. Yes, in 2020, we lost in the well, the, the team lost in um, the the semifinal, but let's go somewhere beyond that. Let's take this, and for in my perspective as as the captain of the team, I want to take this group where we haven't been to conquer something we haven't conquered. Um, and that is going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to take a lot of intentional effort. Um, but the attitude of, of showing up every day and, and assuming the role of every guy and me is in my role is super important in that. I'm going to ask you, um, uh, and may very well be an awkward question, so I apologize, and, and you knew this was coming. I mean, you see what I'm wearing. It's all <laughs> <laughs> um, as, a, as a leader, I want to bring you back to MLS Cup 2015 yeah. when Columbus Crew lost to Portland Timbers. Um, I remember commentating on that game from a, a little studio in London, um, and I will always. The reason I bring this up is because I will always remember the camera going to you, um, not quite at the final whistle, but maybe twenty seconds or so afterwards, uh, and your face was was um, not of somebody who was defeated, but somebody who was utterly determined to make sure that never happened again. And I'll always remember an image of you and, and Kai Kamara, ironically, mm. um, standing watching the Timbers lifting MLS Cup. Does, does that day still haunt you? Does that day still come up in conversations? And, and is it something that, I'm assuming it's something that at some stage you, you want to erase completely and you want to win MLS Cup at some stage? So we trace it back to um, kind of where we started with the, the homegrown conversation. And like, I don't know, as a, as a player, if you get to host the championship in your home stadium as a home person, like right. being from that place. I mean, I've never had the emotion on a field that I had coming out for warmth of that game. And what, what was that emotion? There was just this electricity in the air, this, um, 
it's hard to put into words, but the excitement around the game of like, here we are, mm-hmm. we're hosting this thing. This is my hometown. This is my home stadium. Um, and then for it to be utterly gut punched in the first 27 seconds was, um, again, hard to put into words. Yeah. Uh, and, and for us on that field, I mean, you've probably talked to Ethan Finley about it as well, but, um, to claw our way back to 2-1, but for the game to go the way it did when the lead-up was so positive and the the team spirit was amazing and all these things, and for it to be dashed the way it was just felt a little unfair to us, right? But that's the game, and that's what you have to learn from, and that's how you have to try to respond to it. So I think at the end of that game, I remember a little bit of disbelief um, that it ended the way it did because coming into the game, we, th- we thought we were going to win this game. Um, and that's not the way the world works always and sport works. So um, the determination behind it, the fuel behind it was, was one of, at that moment, anger and frustration, of course. Um, but then coming back to, okay, well, what could we have done better? What could we have changed um, to, to prepare ourselves better for every occurrence that could, that could happen in the game? And for me... I think I was watching that angry, upset, frustrated. And then I think I went into the locker room and I think the emotion hit me once I went into the locker room of like, that's the end of the season. Mm. And we let this slip. Um, And Ethan and I talked a lot about it afterwards. And then having the year here of just, man, you don't get, you don't get a ton of those opportunities and it's not easy to get there. Um, So the work that it takes, you almost have to double it. The, the next time you get there and you almost have to triple it after that um, to, to get back to those moments and then it can in an instant disappear. So how can you be as prepared as possible? How can you be as open to growth as possible? Um, and, and then at the same time, there's luck, right? You think about um, New York city this past year and shootouts. I mean, it's anything can happen truly. Um, there's a great documentary on Amazon where they go through different aspects of world football, but one is about luck. Um, and that's not a word we like to use that much because you think, oh, well, we can just prepare around any eventuality, essentially. Um, but it was, I think, Germany, um, it was Oliver Kahn was, was interviewed, and he's talking about how in 2002 he had an amazing tournament. Amazing. Like, best goalkeeper in the world, yeah. unstoppable. And then the final happens, and he makes two errors, and they lose. Right. And it's like, whoa, (laughs) like we, I mean, obviously Brazil was also having an amazing tournament. Ronaldo was having an amazing tournament, but here was a guy who made zero (laughs) mistakes pretty much the entire tournament. Um, And then in the biggest moment, it didn't happen. And that's not luck on either side. It's just at times what happens and you have to find a way to, to bring yourself from it um, and raise yourself from the ashes of it. And, and for me, um, that moment in 2015 is, is one that sticks as a, reference point to this sucked (laughs) let's find a way to to now get better from it um and I want to get back there and I want to get back there with this team this year is there a different feeling depending on how the game went you know how how that result came to be whether you know I I know I look back at the Portland game in the playoffs this last season Mm -hmm. and it felt like that wasn't the Minnesota United team that we're accustomed to seeing Mm -hmm. and that I was expecting to see in that match. So like going back to that final, is it different depending on how the game ends that you feel like, yes, I left it on the field or no, we didn't do what we needed to do. Like, 
Does that change? I think it does. Um, I look at, so 2015, we lost the final at home. And it was kind of an anemic ending. It was like, we're throwing the ball up there, trying to do anything we can. Maybe just to tie the game. And then two years later, we play, this is with Columbus again, we played Toronto in the conference finals. And it was like one of the best series I've ever been a part of. Um, from a tactical battle between Vanny and Greg, it was just really, really high-level stuff. And the home leg, we had a chance to go up 1-0. It ends 0-0. Then we go to Toronto, and we had another chance to score an away goal. And they score 89th minute we had an opportunity. And it was like back and forth. It wasn't as though we were trying everything, throwing it all against the the chalkboard to see what's, what's stuck. Um, and we ended up losing. And that one almost hurt more because it was right there. And you're going tit for tat with this group. It wasn't like if we scored, it would have been a miracle. It was like, we can score. We just didn't do it. And I think that's, that sinks in a little bit deeper in the sense of our execution wasn't there. We weren't prepared for that moment. Um, so yeah, I think it does change how you interpret the, the pathway forward um, based on how that game ends. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. Um, I want to ask you, Will, I must admit, at, at some stage during your Columbus Crew career, I thought you were going to go across and, and move across the pond to Europe. I think your game with your ball retention and the way that you move the ball, I think you're, you're suited perfectly for La Liga, in my opinion. Um, and, and maybe that still happens. Um, but you went to, into Miami, um, and I don't know the, the reasons for the trade, and, and it, it is what it is, but what was it like for you then moving to an expansion team at that point when you were, you were traded across to them as well? And, and it was looking at into Miami from the outside, even now... It just seems like, and I'll use the word, it's, it, it is like a disaster. It's not mm. gone anywhere near the way people thought it would. Well, what was it like, that, that expansion you were with into Miami, and what did you learn? Yeah, yeah, I think for me the, um, the start of it was the desire to leave Columbus um, and to go abroad. And be it what it may, it, the, the situation just didn't sure. occur, um, which, was, which was disappointing for me because, again, that was something that I always have wanted to do. Um, in my career, just to, to see a different league and see how I would stack up and all those sorts of things. So um, the situation was a little untenable in Columbus um, with just some chemistry and some culture things for myself and the, the coaching staff and the club. So um, I felt like I didn't want to be a burden to them. Can you just help me find a way out of this situation? Right. Paul McDonough in Miami who I, I knew very well, um, they made the trade for me, so I was traded preseason. And in all intents and purposes, it was it was something I stepped in the first day. I felt really good about it. I, to be honest, I hadn't done any research. It was like, here you go. This is where you're going. Right. So for us, my wife and I, um, it was very much like, let's just make the best out of what it is. Um, there's definitely excitement. I don't know really what expansion's about, but we're going to figure it out. Um, and from from the perspective of the club, I think – they, they certainly have an amazing engagement in terms of um, the brand awareness and the, the mystique of the club, right? Um, but the problem, I think, that 
really happened in 2020 was, okay, there's momentum and things are moving in some trajectory. Uh, and then COVID comes, right? And and you can't necessarily blame it all on COVID, but I think for us at Miami at that time, if you don't have a culture built or you don't have ex- enough experienced guys that are really ready to weather the storm, things can fall to pieces quickly. Um, and, and we really found that and lived that out in a very visceral way uh, that first year. And for me, it was disappointing in the sense of this could be great. This could be an, an amazing club where you can attract some of the best players in the world. And I was fortunate to play with some guys that have done amazing things in their career. Um, but the, the style over substance, I think, is what kind of pushed it into this, this place of, well, now we're not really taken seriously. Now we're, we have herons on our chest, or people think they're flamingos, but they're herons. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's just a little bit, like, showy, but no substance. Right. And you guys know from, from being here during the expansion years that it's not an easy process, and it takes time. But um, what is the plan? And what does the plan look like? And are we taking incremental steps like Nashville has to build up a group of players that can be resilient in those tough moments um, to build something that's now successful in the grander scheme of MLS? And even more so, I think Miami's judged against Nashville, right? So that's a, that's a whole other um, aspect to where, well, here's the measuring stick of the Atlantas, the LAFCs, but then even in the same year, you're looking at a group that's less flashy, more American in this sense of MLS players, yep. and they're better than us, plain and simple. Um, so that was a tough pill to swallow, I think, for the pride of everyone at the club. And for me, I took it as uh, an amazing, <laughs> I can say this now, an amazing learning experience because um, it, it revealed gaps in responsibility. And both within myself of seeing how I would, interact with my teammates and how easy it is to get into, okay, we're losing. Let's just blame each other and not blame whoever except myself and take responsibility myself. Um, but also like what the inner workings of, in this case, a n- not very successful club look like. Um, and, and that's something that I, I took away saying, wow, like I don't want to be a part of something like that. Or how would I change this if I was still a part of it? Um, so then last, last year coming here was like a cold drink of water on a hot day. I mean, it was the best thing that could have happened. Um, and I'm, again, I think I said it a lot last year, just very, very humbled and, um, grateful for Adrian and, and Watto and Bill, Dr. Bill for, um, for, for bringing me here. So now with your experience and looking at Miami, looking at Columbus crew and now Minnesota United, when you. From your vantage point, when you look at those different teams and how they've been built and how they've been shaped and formed, what what makes a successful MLS team? As you talked about, maybe Miami didn't have the makings, the the veteran MLS guys, and we we talk a lot about international players and versus MLS guys. And what in your mind is maybe a, a healthy balance, or is there not a exact recipe for that? Um, it's it's difficult to say. The here's the recipe because you look at any team in the league and it's different. Um, but based on what I've seen, so much of it goes into um, what the coach wants. Uh, I think Greg, for example, Burhalter in Columbus was unbelievably specific on here's the roles, here's the profiles, this is what we're going to build. And we're a smaller market, so we need 
cheaper players, <laughs> plain and mm-hmm. simple. Miami said, we're Miami. We can buy who we want, so we're going to buy who we want. Um, and in a way, kind of segregate the group, MLS guys, non-MLS guys. And I think that was a huge rift in our, our locker room as well. Um, and then I find coming here, it's kind of a return back to what Greg did in, in Columbus. A little bit smaller market, but have having special players in certain positions that can really make the team go. And then having complementary pieces. And, and that's what we found in MLS is, is unbelievably successful, um, is having a collection of players that are humble, hardworking, that know their roles, but then you have enough quality to really bridge the gap of the big moments. Um, and we had that in Columbus with the Federico Iwain at times. Um, and here, obviously, we know that with Ray, but then we've added this year, you look at Bongi, you look at Curvin, you look at Luis, you look at Fragapani last year, Adrian last year, you, you're seeing a, a wealth of players that are coming in that have quality. Um, and then obviously Ray being kind of the, the crown jewel of that one. Before we get too deep into Minnesota United, and eventually we will preview the upcoming game against New York Red Bulls. This always happens on this podcast. We could talk for hours, couldn't we? <laughs> um, <laughs> especially with somebody as eloquent as Will Trapp, by the way, as well. Has a career in television ahead of him, if he wants it, in my we'll opinion. See. We'll see. Um, not for a long time. You can yet. take your job. There we go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned the national team. Um, it, it's, it's been a couple of years since your last cap now. Under Greg Berhalter's guidance at the moment. Does that surprise you that it's been a couple of years? Look, I had a conversation with Greg this December, I think it was, um, because for me, it's like, what, where am I at in this, in this picture? And right. granted it's, um, it's a world cup year now. Um, but for me, it's, it's, that's a goal regardless of how outside the chances seem, who knows? Um, all it takes is a good season, truly. Um, and understanding, again, what my qualities bring that are different than qualities that the guys are in there currently. Um, so for me, it's, it's, it was good to have clarity from him, um, clarity in just having a conversation and, and saying, Hey, Greg, this is where I'm at. Where are you at? You know? Um, and, and that allows the player, I think more than anything, it's hard as a player to have ambiguity, ambiguity in what's expected of you, ambiguity in, um, where you, where you stand, um, to have just the hard line clarity it's like, okay, cool. Well, that's the gap. Let's make up the gap. Plain and simple. And again, to go back to the growth mindset aspect of things, as long as you have the target to shoot at, you can make up the gap, right? Um, but if you don't know where you stand, it's it's very disconcerting. Um, so for me, it's a goal. It's the goal. Um, but that only starts with performing here and winning games here. Um, and, and that's where I've just focused my attention. I guess my my one on the national team is just now that you've been there and you've tasted it Mm -hmm. and you know what it feels like. And when you watch the national team play or you don't watch them qualify or you see what it looks like now, what is that like watching, knowing that you were there, you were part of that, you know, that you've contributed to that aspect? Yeah. Is um, it frustrating? Is it exhilarating? Do you get more into it than maybe others who had never been a part of it? I mean, what's that? Yeah, I think it's uh, we're competitive. You want to be there, plain and simple. Um, anyone that says it any other way is kidding themselves, I think. Um, so it's purely about how do you get back there, in my opinion. You mentioned it there briefly. One of the, the better ways to get back there is, is consistently performing at club level. 
you've been doing that since you arrived at Minnesota United. And I know one of your quotes, I believe, was you, you came here because you really believe there's massive potential mm-hmm. at this club. I know you had other offers as well. You came here as a free agent. But why, why was it specifically Minnesota United? <laughs> you know what's hilarious is uh, we talk about Miami. And leaving Miami... I was watching the playoff run in 2020 and it was so funny because we're here. We are saying like my wife and I watched the game like, wow, they're good. Like they're good. Like mm-hmm. a team that's good wants us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, so uh, for me, it was like, look at the potential of the players on this team. Look at um, how they affect opponents, how they strike fear in opponents. I mean, uh, a lot of the guys I knew in Columbus that were going to potentially play our guys in the final were like, uh, we would rather play Seattle. Um, so that for me was so exciting, exciting to see, here's a guy ahead of me in Reynoso who has so many qualities, like the success I had in Columbus with, with Fede Higuain. And like, that excites me. That's something that a coach like Adrian, who wants to keep the ball, wants to play progressive football, that excites me. Um, and for me, it's, it, it just made sense. And on top of other things of like having family ties here and being a Midwestern city with kind of the Midwestern values that we appreciate. Um, it was a slam dunk. I'm sorry to do this to you. I'm going to ask you another really awkward question here. but <laughs> I'm just leaving these up to Cal today. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think people are interested. Um, 2020 was a, a bizarre year for everybody, mm-hmm. but, but given how it finished with the crew being victorious, mm. what, what, what Cal, was that like? Dance. <laughs> what was like? Uh, seriously, on a, on a serious note, for you, what was yeah. that like? Because you've said how much the club means to you and everything, yeah. but no longer being a part of it, what, what was that like for you? Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Really? Yeah, it was terrible. Um, my brother was in Miami with his fiance. We were watching the game, and, oh, I couldn't have rooted more for Seattle. <laughs> And uh, crew fans will probably be so upset about that, but whatever. At the end of the day, like, we're competitive. And when you're not there, right? Like, I literally would have dreams about, like, lifting the trophy in Crew Stadium as the captain of the team. And then I leave and they do it. It's like, whoa. (laughs) That doesn't sit so well with me. Um, So it was terrible. It was terrible. But at the same time, Jossie Zardes, Hector Jimenez, Josh Williams, these are some of my closest friends. So, like, of course I'm excited for them. Yeah. Of course I'm happy for them. Um, but you just want to be there. You want to be a part of it. And, um, again, that's, the, that's where the motivation fire gets lit. How do you make sure that everybody is at that standard or do they not belong at a, in a professional level? That isn't their standard. We talked a lot about that with Ozzy Alonzo, right, and his history with Seattle and then Minnesota United, now Atlanta. Just yeah. all he knows is winning. Yeah. That is his standard. Can you get others to be on that? Or is it either you ha- you have it and you don't, or you don't you can at this level? That. You can learn that. Um, you can learn that, but it has to be reinforced every day. It has to be consciously thought about. If it's not unique to you or it's not natural to you. Um, I mean, I, Ethan was a great example. He's one of the most competitive people I know. And he's your best friend, but you get him on the field. and mm. Watch out. Um, so... <laughs> It's great to have people like that because they sharpen you. Um, and, and I think for me, it's like, okay, who, is, who else can do that? Who else are those, are those people on our group that are ruthlessly competitive? And at times, I mean, I think Dane is that way. We play this little game before training, and I hate losing to Dane. You know? <laughs> and it's, like, it's great, though. It's great yes, because yes. Like, those are the things that um, they sharpen people. And they set standards, even if you don't think it's it's not 
technically in the context of training, but it sets the, the table for training. Um, and you have to just find little ways to inocul- inoculate yourself to, to pressure and to competition and um, what that standard looks like. But then, okay, well, here's where we are now. Now we have to raise it again. Okay, well, here's where we are now. Then we have to raise it again. And um, there's practical ways to do that. And small little games like that are a perfect way, in my opinion, to, to build standards of winning. We'll let you go here shortly. I'm getting, uh, I can feel our PR manager's eyes burning in the side of my face. Um, so we know you've got a time. You can blame me. I've talked too much. <laughs> no, this is great. You're the one who's supposed to be talking. Yeah. Um, let's preview this upcoming game against the Red Bulls, shall we? Um, what is your role on, on Sunday afternoon slash evening at Red Bull Arena? Yeah, um, this game will be one that is, it's going to be... A street fight. That's just how Red Bulls play, especially at home. It's it's ninety minutes of pressure. It's fast. It's chaotic. Um, as a midfield player, so much of it is doing the dirty work to pick up second balls, um, and then finding release valves is kind of how I uh, use the term in this game because they like to sink so many players around the ball, kick the ball long, fight for the second balls, win it, or press the guy that does win it. Mm-hmm. So. Being calm, composed to play out of those positions to our release valves, which will be our forward players. Um, that's going to be the the place, or honestly, where the game's won um, in, in many respects. So, being calm and composed to to not only fight in those moments, but also just have the wherewithal to find the outlets. Speaking of the outlets, it seemed like the first couple of goals that the Red Bulls were able to score on the road at Toronto were based off of you know turnovers in midfield mm-hmm. by Toronto and how quickly they won two passes out the other way. And Morgan's been phenomenal. Flamala's been, yeah, there yeah. you go. Your guy um, from Miami. But also just how important is it to keep the ball in the first pass out of transition when you win it back? Yeah. Um, and how difficult is that, especially in your position when sometimes you're deep in your own end, you may be on the edge of your own 18, there's numbers and bodies around. Like, how important is that first pass out to keep the ball to relieve that pressure and, and get the attack? It's imperative. Uh, Adrian always stresses breaking lines. Um, but in this game, it's almost different because the the way in which we do that has to be very strategic because you could play the ball forward or break a line, but their center back could be coming right through Luis's back. Right. It's and that doesn't help anybody. So finding the right outlets, finding the passes that give guys. OK. And the Red Bulls are they're almost bees attracted to hunting. Like they, they can't help themselves. They're so well drilled to go after the ball that one moment of calm and clarity to find the outlet pass could beat six players. Yep. So it's truly about that scanning and understanding of, OK, well, they're coming from this right side. There's about 25 meters that they're locked us into who's open right who's the open man um and and that's that's where this game is won um and i you saw toronto didn't do a necessarily great job of that and they got punished for it given the way that the red bulls play do you expect then with everything that you've just said to be clipping the balls into the channels on sunday stereotypically what they like to do is they like to lose the ball in your half Mm. and then (laughs) and then press you um, to put it into areas that tend to be ha- like half spaces or proximate to the channel. Mm. And then they just fight, win it, and then play out the other side or play behind you as quick as possible. Because it's, it's really difficult for, think about it, players to be moving forward to win a ball, lose it, and then turn around and run as fast as they can the other way. Yep. 
um, so that they, they take advantage of physics in that regard. Um, <laughs> and they're good at it. They really are. And they have players like Lewis, for example, that have been finishing and, and doing a good job. So um, the thing you can't do is give away easy ones against them. You just don't feed the fire. Um, whether it's set pieces like you saw against Toronto or even these these chances where you're just allowing them to gain more and more confidence. Um, if you stymie the confidence, they start to fatigue from the amount of running. And again, they can't help themselves because that's just the way that they're, they're drilled to, to perform. With everything you've just said there again, um, and the way that the Red Bulls do play and they play these lovely curving balls with lovely shape on the, on the, yeah. the pass in behind. It, it's wonderful. It really is great to watch. But with that in mind, do you expect to be a little deeper at Red Bull Arena then? There could be, yeah. I mean, away from home too, you have to expect that there'll be more on the front foot. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think there's space that opens up in those moments. Um, there's space that opens up when you do win a first ball and a second ball. And in this example, they're very narrow with their, um, with their midfielders. So allowing whoever our fullbacks are in this game to, to progress forward as far as you can go yep. until you get pressed. And then we try to play across the field because once they get into their half, their defensive half defending they're they're not as comfortable. Mm. They don't understand or read spaces as well as they do in the front half where they can press it and win it. Just finally then uh, from me, well, I've been wanting to ask you this for a, for a while now because your role for, for this team, it is the traditional six, at least from what we're saying mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, when you've got somebody, let, let's just say against the Red Bulls, it's either Dotson or it's Ariaga or Hayes or whoever's going to play alongside you at Red sure. Bull Arena. Um, when you have a partner in the centre of midfield, it seems to be most beneficial to Minnesota United when it's somebody that can play really well on the half turn. I thought Ariaga was wonderful and showed a great example of doing that when Dotson was sitting in Philadelphia mm. and then Hassani did a great job of it uh, in Nashville against Nashville the other day. What's that like for you as the player that is told to sit deeper in that situation when the ball gets to, let's say, for argument's sake, it's Dotson in the centre of midfield against uh, the Red Bulls on Sunday. The ball's coming to him. Do you instantly then, even before the ball has gotten to Dotson, it might be like a yard or two away, do you just then start to drop back? or How does that work for you in that role? Yeah, um, so much of it is is being support angles, but support angles usually behind them. Right. Because who's if the ball turns over, you can't be on the other side. No. Um, and, and that's, for me, it's just always thinking about, okay, if the triangle's tilted to the left side and Hassani's re- receiving the ball there, how do I get a support angle that's, what, 45 degrees behind him, essentially, mm. um, to be an outlet... But if I get square or if I get ahead of him, you never know, right? Um, so you always have to be playing the, the risk assessment game in, in the number six position. Wonderful. Um, insightful, intelligence. Wonderful to have Will Trapp on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, our thanks to Kindred East St. Aubin. Our thanks to Will Trapp for joining us. Really appreciate it. Evan Entler, our expert button presser, as always, Amazing, for doing Evan. his job. Amazing. <laughs> uh, so, Minnesota United on the road again. Match day three upon us. The Loons away to New York Red Bulls from all of us here. We'll see you on Sunday.